Hello, and welcome to another Veterinary Team Training Podcast. My name is Amy Newfield, and I'm both the host and owner of Vet Team Training. Please check out all my other blogs, vlogs, and podcasts at vetteamtraining.com. Today, I want to talk to you about a topic that I'm super passionate about. We are going to be talking about where are all the actual real, the true, the ones that have the autonomy to be actual veterinary technician leaders, the managers, the supervisors, the directors, or the chief. I'm not just talking about title only because a lot of you have the title, but very few of you actually have the autonomy that you're supposed to have to be successful in the positions that you were granted. And there's a lot of you listening that you just don't have technician managers or technician supervisors or directors or chiefs. And so I really wanna dive into this topic because I think that this is actually part of the issue that's broken industry-wide. It's not a corporate thing. It's not a privately owned thing. It's not a certain business segment. It's just broken across every segment of the veterinary profession. Largely, most of the time, veterinary technicians and nurses are not allowed to actually manage their own people. They're not given the autonomy to do so. And this is in stark contrast to our human nursing counterparts. And we're going to dive into that because I think it's really important to understand where human nursing, the registered nurses, especially, you know, in this country, have come from and their history and their trajectory and how they organize themselves. And then we need to take a look at veterinary medicine. I truly do believe that this is one of the biggest issues in our profession right now in terms of culture, climate, turnover, burnout, all of those things. When you don't feel like your manager connects to you, when you feel like that they're struggling to be a leader, then the team often struggles. Now, are there really fantastic teams that are amazing in lieu of really bad leadership? Yes, there are, but those are few and far between. Large and part, there's a direct correlation across every business segment in the entire world that if you have terrible leadership, your team also suffers. So let's define what is a veterinary technician manager? What is a veterinary technician supervisor? And let's define some of those higher end titles like director of nursing from an RN perspective or chief nursing officer from an RRN position. What does that look like in human nursing? And let's dive into how that could be applicable in veterinary medicine. Most of you know that I oopsied my way into a leadership role very young in my profession. I graduated from school in the 90s, and within the first three years of working in a general practice, privately owned veterinary hospital, I was given the technician manager title. That's why I wrote the book, Oops, I Became a Manager. I literally oopsied my way into it simply by just being a really good technician and saying yes to everything. Sure, I'll help you with inventory. Yes, I'll absolutely do the schedule. Oh, you want me to help with interview? I have no idea how to do that, but I will absolutely help you with interviewing. That sounds amazing. I'm sure I know how to do it. I've come a long way. I've been in this profession as of next year. I'm terrified. (laughs) Once we get into 2023, I've been in this profession for 25 years. So right now I'm on my 24th year of veterinary medicine. That's wild to me. The leader I was is completely different than the leader I am today. I think innately my younger version of myself still cared and wanted the best for the team. And so those hard traits are still there. I was very respectful to the team. I led by example. I was a servant leader. I was also very humble. So those things are still there, but my ability to coach and actually help the individual has improved dramatically. And thank goodness, I've made a lot of mistakes 
And each time I've messed up, I have sought to make improvements and learn and grow. I've lost count of how many books on leadership and coaching and being a manager that I've actually read in my career. And I know that my learning isn't done and that's super important. But no matter all of the coaching and the leadership skills that I have developed, no matter what leadership role I've ever held, I've never been given the full autonomy to actually coach and mentor my individual people without having to put a little bit of an effort and fight into doing so. Even as I progressed in my career, I would say that I had to put in a ton of effort and prove myself over and over again that I was an effective leader. There was probably only one role that at one point I was given full autonomy to be truly, I would call myself a director of nursing, a director of veterinary technicians. That's truly what I was in that position. I had the autonomy to hire and terminate and give raises and develop out people and coach them to their success. And I did it all by just saying to my hospital administrator at the time, I wanna let you know that I'm talking to so-and-so about this particular issue. She would say, sounds good, let me know if you need anything. When it came time for salary raises, I would present her a list of people, my rationale as to who I thought deserved those raises, what percent increase we were going up, making sure we worked within a payroll budget, making sure that our P&L was still looking pretty good. She would just sign off on it and then I would go ahead and administer those raises myself. She was not in those meetings. But I know when you're listening to me, very few of you have that autonomy. Very few of you get to actually coach people or develop your teams in the manner in which you want because you're being micromanaged by somebody else. So, okay, let's do some definitions first, and then let's dive into human medicine. So for me right now, the two, maybe three, arguably, uh, leadership roles that we have in our hospital, we have something called a shift lead, right? Um, so this is someone who is there to act as sort of that liaison between their manager and supervisor and the team. They hold the values of the hospital and the leadership at top notch and what they do is just make sure that the flow of the hospital is is working well throughout the day. They make sure that people are in the right places and they coach with kindness. You know, unfortunately, the shift lead role sometimes fails because you get a dictator in there who says, "I need you to start cleaning or you need to do this." That's not really a good shift leader. It's more or less like when it is slow, we rally the team, we say, "Hey guys, can we pick through this cleaning list? I know it's a pain, but let's just get through some of these cleaning lists. Or, hey, looking a little chaotic, tell me what's going on, let's huddle up and let's reorganize ourselves. That's really what a shift lead is. So some hospitals are using shift leads, and then there is the supervisor. So typically on an organizational chart in a hospital setting, the supervisor has shift leads reporting to them. This is someone who is now supervising, who's overseeing a team or a department, or maybe just a group of individuals. And this supervisor typically doesn't have carte blanche, doesn't have the full autonomy to be doing things like performance reviews or writing anyone up or terminations or hirings. They're probably part of that situation. When we have a potential new hire coming on board, they're probably involved in some semblance of the hiring process, but they're not gonna be the person to give the offer letter. They might help with the orientation of new hires, they may occasionally sit in on a performance-based issue with their actual practice manager, 
but they're probably not going to be the ones to solely write this person up and then make a development plan for that person, follow up and make sure that that person is improving. They may also be involved in scheduling the team and solely responsible for it as well as inventory. There's a lot of roles and responsibilities that a supervisor does, but as far as giving carte blanche to hire, fire, and that sort of thing, probably not. And then the next title is a technician manager or a veterinary nurse manager. This person is usually, again, in an organizational chart, they're gonna be above the supervisor and above the shift leads. They should have the full autonomy to manage the department, to make sure that everything's running smoothly. And that person probably now does have a little bit more autonomy to be involved in the hiring process, be involved in the termination process, to be involved in salary changes, even larger conversations about putting in policies and procedures. And hopefully they're working alongside their medical director and their practice manager. And this is where that breakdown starts to happen because our shift leads and our technician and nurse supervisors, they generally are given the autonomy to do what they're allowed to do because it's limited. But when we start talking about veterinary technician managers, veterinary nurse managers, unfortunately, this is where it starts to break down. And these individuals don't have the autonomy to do everything that they're capable of doing. I am gonna pause here. Because I know for some of you listening to this, you're saying, well, we don't have anybody on our staff who has the ability to do that, Amy. We don't trust them to have performance-based conversations with our team. Do we really think that a technician manager, that a veterinary nurse manager has the ability to hire and fire at will and do a good job? Do we really believe that? Yeah, I do. Because we often put medical directors in medical directors roles and they are often given the autonomy to hire and fire and give salary increases and do all of those things themselves. And guess what? They don't have any better leadership skills than a veterinary technician, veterinary nurse individual who was placed in that same position. So if we're allowing our medical directors to be involved in those processes, then why are we not allowing our veterinary technicians and nurses to be involved in those processes? That's a real struggle for me. Okay, let's get back on track. Now let's dive into the higher end roles that we hear about in human nursing. You know, as if you're a registered nurse here in the United States or in most other developed countries, you're gonna hear things like director of nursing or chief nursing officer. What are these positions and do we need them in veterinary medicine? Answer, yes. I'm just gonna go right out on a limb and say, yes, absolutely, we need them. We're starting to see a lot of uh, larger organizations and even some privately owned hospitals, though they're mostly specialty hospitals, that are starting to implement these chief or director positions for veterinary technicians. But let's dive into how they're utilized here in the United States in within our own human healthcare system. And then let's talk about veterinary medicine. So first, let's define what is the difference between a chief nursing officer and a director of nursing? Do we need both of these? What are they exactly? And how can we, if at all, utilize them in veterinary medicine? So full disclosure, my mother actually now she's retired, but she was the director of nursing of a over 300 resident nursing home for many years. She had nurse managers, nurse supervisors reporting to her and she ran that place. That's what directors of nursing do. So for that reason, I think I'm even more passionate about having these positions implemented 
in veterinary medicine, but not just implemented, actually being able to be utilized. All right, so what are the differences between that chief nursing officer and that director of nursing? A chief nursing officer, the CNO, is also sometimes referred to as the chief nursing executive. Every so often you'll see that title thrown around, they're kind of synonymous, but they're at the top of the pyramid. They basically work under your CEO if you had a CEO of a company. So this is a position that larger corporations, larger companies that may have multiple hospitals probably would consider utilizing. That person's responsible for all nursing services delivered across the hospital or hospitals or healthcare unit. Typically, the CNO has a master's degree or higher in order to obtain this position. And usually you need to have been in the industry for at least 10 or 15 years in order to be awarded a CNO position. Now, interestingly enough, the CNO position is so valuable and allows so much to happen in terms of just making sure that nurses have the tools and resources that they need and that they're also delivering the best nursing care that the United States Public Health Service actually established the Division of Nursing in 1949. And actually in 1949, they assigned and created the very first chief nurse position, which was given to Lucille Petrie, who was actually appointed with also another rank as the assistant surgeon general. I mean, get out of town that that's where nursing is at. And that was in 1949. Eventually that position expanded so that it could actually include collecting statistics, making sure we have adequate supply of nursing here in this country, and actually also improving the quality of nursing care. And interestingly enough, in 1955, they started adding federal funding to help support nursing research. Crazy. Where are we in veterinary medicine? This is 2022. We don't have anything like this. Um, but yeah, it's really cool stuff uh, that human nursing is doing. It's at the federal level. Okay, so now let's talk about the director of nursing position. The director of nursing is an administrator role, which usually helps to direct that patient care and provides general leadership for the entire department. And admin duties also can include sort of boring stuff like record keeping, budgeting, scheduling, stuff like that. But we are making sure that the director of nursing is overseeing all of our nurses in that facility through the nurse managers and the nurse supervisors. They can't do it alone. You can't have 200 people reporting to just one director of nursing, AKA the Don. Um, but you do need to make sure that they have great managers and supervisors in those actual facilities to help make sure that everyone's being their top-notch nursing self. Now, typically your Don reports to your hospital administrator. Sometimes they're called nursing home administrators or your executive director. So that's typically who they report to, but certainly titles may vary. So is it possible for you to have a chief nursing officer as well as a director of nursing? Yes, in huge healthcare facilities that possibly have multiple campuses, yes, you might have a chief nursing officer and you might even have multiple dons. If, you, if this chief nursing officer is overseeing five hospitals, then you may have director of nursings within each department or each hospital that report to that chief nursing officer. So now let's talk about veterinary medicine because we're a long ways away from that. All right, I kind of got a little bit on the topic of why do we allow our medical directors to oversee their staff with full autonomy, 
but we don't allow our veterinary technician managers and nurses to do so. And again, in even some of our hospitals, we just plain don't have those roles. So let's dive into that. In 2011, there was a journal article published in BMC Health Services Research and actually looked at the relationship between organizational culture, leadership behavior, and job satisfaction. And it comes of no shock that what they concluded was that when the interaction between leadership and employees is good, the employees will make a greater contribution to team communication and collaboration, which will therefore accomplish any mission or objectives assigned by the leadership a lot better and you will have greater job satisfaction. So therefore, and this is, there's countless studies out there, but what it concluded therefore was that there is a direct correlation between the leadership behavior, the culture within the hospital and the job satisfaction. Those three go hand in hand and that the leadership is absolutely significantly correlated with the job satisfaction. So when we look at human nursing, registered nurses and how they have had their trajectory of their career initially, it was just your family, friends, neighbors that helped out, held down a patient, sewed up a wound, and they knew nothing. But then they started to formalize their own career. They got schools. They got education. They grew up, went from certificate programs to degrees. They got licensure. They got title protection and scope of practice protection. And if you don't know what those two things are, I talked about it in another podcast. It's important that you understand both of those. So it's not just about protecting your title, but also what you legally can do and only you legally can do in this industry. So they did all of those things, but then they started to organize themselves. When you had just a bunch of registered nurses and no actual true supervisor or manager, well, it be created a little bit of chaos. And so slowly they started to create things like shift leads, nursing supervisors, nursing managers. But then they had facilities that had multiple nursing managers and they needed a manager, AKA a director of nursing. And then perhaps they needed a chief nursing officer. When we look at medicine, whether it be human medicine or veterinary medicine, there really are three buckets within our hospitals. You have operations. I like to think that operations is Switzerland. A lot of things, a lot of people think that operations is financial, only business oriented, but really it's not just about finances. Good operational people today come in with the Switzerland approach that they look at what's not just best for finances, but what's also best for people and balancing it out. We can't just ignore the finances. We have to look at the people aspect and the finances together. And so operations sort of kind of always is that neutral person or they should be that neutral person to be able to see what's best for our medical doctors, what's best for our veterinary technicians, what's best for our client service reps, what's best for the finances of this hospital and figuring out how those all intersect together to make one happy, healthy hospital. So we have operations, that's one bucket. Then we have our medical doctors. So our medical doctors, obviously, usually, but not always, have a medical director overseeing them. Again, let me just say, I find it very difficult to understand why medical directors are allowed to come in with no leadership training whatsoever. You're just awarded a title. That's like, 
You've been here for five years. You get medical director. You are amazing at doing surgery. So therefore you must be great at leading people. No, I don't know why we've got to fix this problem in veterinary medicine, but I know I've gone off on a tangent in any event. Uh, we put them in this role and they're going to oversee our doctors. And so we have the doctor bucket. So we've got operations, we've got medical doctors, and then we have this other bucket that we have largely forgotten about. That's the nursing care. Yep, that's right, people. The veterinary technicians, the veterinary nurses in your hospital actually make up the largest percent of your team. Hands down, if they don't, you've got a problem. You're super short staff. Um, and I know hiring is tough, but they should absolutely outnumber your doctors, your administrative staff, and your client service representatives. They are the biggest bubble. And so we've got nursing, our veterinary technicians, right, in that bucket. Um, tech, teching isn't, I know we say that, but that's not what we do. We do veterinary nursing care. So I'm going to use that term. So we've got medical, we've got nursing, and we've got operations. Who does the client service rep fall under? Really operations, because that's our client forward facing business and that group. And I would, I want it to absolutely be its own bubble, but operations to handles a large percentage of the client interaction. Because again, if we are doing everything right, our clients and our pet owners, they should be super happy. So our client service representatives for the, for right now, probably still fit under operations. Would I like to see them as receptionists, veterinary medical receptionists, where we give them some actual medical knowledge and train them on anatomy and physiology and medical terms, and maybe even some light pharmacology. What? That would be revolutionary. Um, I've, <laughs> I've talked about this in the past as well. We always forget about the front desk. I would love for that to be a fourth bubble. Um, for right now, we're going to put them in operations, but arguably you've got at least three, ideally four bubbles in your hospital. All right, so every bubble needs a manager. This is really important. And in our front desk, our client service representative bubble, we do sometimes have front desk managers, supervisors, right? Um, whatever we're calling, there's so many different terms. Our CCCs, our CSRs, our CEAs. I don't know what you guys are calling them, but whatever it is, they're amazing individuals and we should just do better by them. I know I went off on that tangent again, but it's a really important tangent. Regardless, they get a manager, our medical doctors get a manager, and then yes, our veterinary technicians get a manager as well. Now this is where it gets tricky. We need those three bubbles to pretty much work together. We need them all to communicate. And ideally your medical doctor and your technician manager are sitting side by side. They have equal seats at the table. When one seat is shorter and everyone's looking down on them, that's super not cool. Or we shove the, 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 the seat away from the table in the corner and that person can't hear everything at the table. Also super uncool. What's happening right now is we see a lot of technician managers and supervisors who are being shoved out of leadership meetings. They're not being invited to the table. I see this in big companies, unfortunately. Um, one of my past companies I worked with, you know, one of the positions I advocated for time and time again, not just because I was a potential candidate for it, but because I truly felt and believed that that would help the organization was the director of veterinary technician officer position, that chief vet tech officer position. And it needs to sit alongside that chief medical officer position. If you have a COO and a CMO, hold up, what's missing people? It's that simple. It really is that simple. And what happens is 
We give sometimes people titles, but then again, they don't have the full autonomy to actually do the role. So unfortunately in this one particular organization, they gave someone a role, but they didn't title it correctly. And that person wasn't allowed to sit in on senior leadership meetings. They weren't allowed to sit on the executive board. They did not have a seat at the table. So what is the heck is the title if it's not actually allowed to do anything? We need to rethink our judgment of veterinary technician managers and supervisors. And this is a challenge for everybody who's in that position or who has awarded that position to someone. And if you don't have those positions available, I'm gonna challenge you as well. So what is the takeaway from this? One, I want you guys to start thinking. I want you to think about how you're currently structuring your own vet tech leadership in your hospital. And then two, give them tools and resources to train their leadership skills, but make sure you're equal. If you just threw in a medical director into a leadership role and you didn't do any sort of training and you just trusted them to do performance reviews or hire and fire, or maybe even complete contracts for your hospital company, well, then you got to do the same for your technician managers. I'm tired of people saying, oh, well, we don't have anybody who has the ability to do that. I'm sorry, but a large percentage of our practice managers oopsie their way into the practice manager role and probably shouldn't be there. A large percentage of medical directors have zero, I mean, zero leadership training at all. They just worked as a veterinary medical doctor and now suddenly are awarded this leadership role. They haven't taken one leadership class, haven't read one leadership book. They don't know what they're doing either. So if we are doing that for them, I don't want that for our veterinary technician managers and supervisors, but we do need to be equal. What I want is for them to be put in that position and then coached and mentored and have true training positions for that actual position itself. And then give them, them the autonomy. I'm so tired of managers in these positions who are then circumvented, told you're not allowed to do that. Um, you know, you have to run everything by me, micromanaged up the wazoo, and then they get frustrated and they leave. They're not even allowed to showcase their leadership skills. It wasn't even necessarily that they were bad or that they were good. They just weren't allowed to develop them at all. And so we need to stop doing that. If registered nurses were treated the way that veterinary technicians were treated in their healthcare, they'd walk out a long time ago. If you said to your to your registered nurses, hey, I'm just gonna allow the hospital admin to oversee you, is that cool? They would not be okay with that. In my mother's you know, nursing home, if their nurses didn't have a director of nursing, I don't know that they would have been as efficient. You need someone in that position who can relate who understands what it's like, and who understands the problems that need to be fixed. When you have someone that's largely distant outside of that group, outside of that, that team, they're just not gonna be as effective of a leader, and that's where our culture starts to fail. We see this time and time again because these valuable positions are not in our hospital. I want these buckets in our each one of our hospital, and I want equal seats, equal seat in terms of height, and distance to that table so that we can all get the same information and we can all contribute to making a difference in that hospital. When we devalue our technician managers, devalue our technician supervisors by not listening to them because they're just a veterinary technician. One, you get me really ticked off. And then two, that's where the turnover happens and that's when they leave. 
And I understand some of you are saying, well, my technician manager, she or he is the problem. They are the issue. I get it. So are a lot of practice managers. So are a lot of medical directors. I once had to work with a medical director who screamed and threw clipboards almost on an every other day basis. And the reason why we kept this individual around because they were the highest grossing doctor of the practice. They were super caustic, super toxic, and they ruined the culture. And yet we kept them on board because they made money. That's so warped. They had zero leadership skills, and yet we allowed them to hire and fire and do disciplinary <laughs> um, meetings. We allowed them to do all of that, even though they were not only just a terrible leader, but they were also a toxic problem. So we all have those people in our hospitals, but I'm tired of doctors getting special treatment that, oh, we need a medical director. Oh, but do we really need a technician manager? You do. A great leader does more than the grunt work of scheduling or even potentially your inventory. It does more than just making sure that people aren't gossiping on the floor or making sure that the workflow is really great. Great leaders, great technician managers lead by example, by making sure that your vision or your purpose of your hospital continues not only from you, the hospital administrator or manager or director, but also into the team. They possess this amazing ability for implementing the vision of the company, making sure that the vision and the mission of the hospital is goes into and seeps into and is lived by the actual team. They also have the ability to inspire confidence in others. You know, one of the great things I prided myself in is when people said, oh, I can't do that or I'll never be as good as, and me taking them aside and showing them really what their strengths were and building upon that. A fantastic veterinary technician manager or dare I say director of veterinary technician or nurses officer they can motivate change. You know, those policies and procedures that you're gonna need to implement, this is your key to getting to that vet tech, that vet nurse team. Veterinary technician managers help to facilitate that communication between the veterinary technician and nursing team to the upper management because a lot of times, those vet techs on the floor, they are not comfortable going to their practice manager. They cannot relate to them. And so this is an individual that helps to do that. They're also typically involved in recruiting new vet techs, new nurses for the hospital. What about actual nursing care? What does that look like? Have you recently had a nursing medical mistake or an anesthesia issue? Uh, probably most of you have. So where's your director of veterinary technicians in your hospitals to really drive the nursing care aspect of your hospital? I know you think your medical director is doing it, but they are not because your medical director is not looking at nosocomial infections or making sure that we are placing our IV catheters the best way possible. Are they monitoring every single person and how they scrub? Wait, have you had an infection issue in your hospital? Wait, did your veterinary technician just send home the wrong medication? Yeah, all of that is a director level role and responsibility to help improve systems and policies and procedures to make sure it doesn't happen. What about having a medical error reporting structure in which your director of veterinary technicians and your chief medical officer actually collaborate on in helping to improve some of these issues within your hospital? Wait, you don't have any of that? Mm, exactly. So all I'm saying is that your veterinary technician manager, they not only work directly with the patients, 
but they also make sure that they have the ability to work with the team and serve as that liaison between a practice manager, hospital administrator, the medical director, and the actual veterinary technician nursing team. This is really important. And so do we need veterinary technician managers and supervisors and even, let's push the bubble, chief veterinary technician officers, director of veterinary technicians or nurses, whatever you wanna call them. Yeah, let's get some of these, but not just give them the title. Let's get them in, let's help them coach their leadership abilities more than you did with your medical director because you didn't do anything. You were like, oh, you're a great surgeon. Here's a title. Um, so yeah, there's just an ounce of sarcasm there. But fair enough because that's how most of you have actually implemented your medical director. It's a survivability rating. This person has been here 10 years. They've survived that long. Let's slap a title on him. Great job. And now again, they don't know how to lead at all. So anyway, back on track. I want you guys to give somebody a title, coach and mentor them, give them leadership training, expect them to learn and grow in their leadership skills. And then here's the tricky part. Give the autonomy, the full autonomy for what that position is supposed to be. If they're a supervisor, let them be a supervisor. If they're a manager, let them be a manager. And in my case, I should have been a director of veterinary technicians because that's what I was in that one hospital. And so give them the title that they deserve and give them the autonomy to absolutely fly because there's no reason why they can't do it anymore than the client service rep who is now a practice manager or the medical doctor who became a medical director. And if you are part of a larger organization, you need these three executive C-level individuals at your table. You need a chief medical officer, you need a chief operating officer, and guess what else you need? You got it, whatever you wanna call it. Uh, you need ideally your chief veterinary technician officer or some semblance of that. And they need to work together to be able to be the best they can be to deliver all the processes that they need to deliver to the actual hospitals. Thank you so much for listening. Again, I hope this challenges you, opens up the conversations, makes you start thinking about your organization within your own hospital. And if you have individuals in these positions, how you can give them a little bit more freedom, a little bit more autonomy to be the best leader that they can possibly be for your hospital, because that's what your veterinary technician staff wants and that's what they deserve. Keep on being unicorn. Thank you so much for listening. Please check out all my other blogs, vlogs, and podcasts at vetteamtraining.com. Thank you.